So my name is Brendan. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, one of the things you know, a lot of you might know if you're you know, friends with me on Facebook or anything is that, uh, is that I really like photography. Um, I do that a lot. Uh, and one of the things with photography is that really, photography is, is all about light. Um, so if you know anything about photography, you know, like you, you can have, you know, the perfect, you know, beautiful person or like, you know, nice scenery and stuff. But if the lighting is all wrong, if it's like cloudy, if it's like overcast, just like the picture's just blah. Uh, but light and shadow are really what make really dramatic pictures. So I have a slide here. These are, these are not my pictures. It'd be cool if they were, but <laughs> um, not my pictures. But you can see kind of how, how a really good photographer uses light and shadow to really highlight a subject, draw, draw your eyes. And like that, that's, how, that's how shadows work sometimes, is that, is that if a shadow can, can draw your eyes, and you can see like in that, that, that picture of the person, I think, walking down the stairs, like the light and shadow just draws your eyes right to that subject. That's what shadows, shadows do. And so photography has a lot about light and shadow. And, and I think a lot, of, a lot of artistic expression is kind of like that, and including, um, in, in more of a metaphorical shadow sense, um, literature. You know, if you, you read a book, and, and a book, you know, a good book or a good movie will have, they call it foreshadowing. You know, these little hints earlier in the narrative of something that's going to happen. And the, and the point is, is that, is that it's almost, you, you kind of stumble across this, this little thing that happens, this little thing that somebody says in the book, in the movie, and that sort of, just, just like the shadow in this picture, it sort of draws your eyes forward to the main event that the book is building towards. And that's what, so, so good photographers do it this way, good authors do it, do it that way. Um, so shadow. Shadow and light, shadow and substance, foreshadowing. Well, we've been working through um, the book of 1 Corinthians uh, this, this year, Paul's letter to, to the Corinthians. And we've been seeing so many things that, that, uh, that God is, is telling us and shaping us and, um, and you know, all these problems in the Corinthian church and Paul answering their questions. And if you remember last week, if you were here last week, we were in 1 Corinthians 10 as Paul sort of wrapped up his, his answer to one of the Corinthians' questions and about kind of idolatry and, and conscience and how we can love one another and our differences, all those kinds of things. Uh, but last week, we saw one of the, the ways that Paul answered that question is he took a little detour into the Old Testament uh, to use as sort of an illustration. And I said last week, I said that there's a whole lot here, there's some really cool things to see here, and we're coming back to it next week. Well, here we are, it's next week, and that's where we're going. <laughs> and so, so we're going to 1 Corinthians 10, at least as our, as our jumping off point. And you can put up the next slide, in fact, as just sort of a, a, a re reminder here. Oh, sorry, next slide after that. There. So this kind of beginning of chapter 10, and this is how Paul answered their question about idolatry. At least he, he went on from here. And so last week, again, we kind of saw the, the point that Paul was making. This week, I want to drop into some of the specifics of what he mentions, because Paul, the Apostle Paul is doing something really, really extraordinary here with his just reminding them of some of these things in the Old Testament. And what he's going to draw our attention to are some shadows in the Old Testament. 
some shadows of some real substance, of something that he wants us to see. These, and just like a shadow in that picture, you see the shadow and it draws your eyes to, to the focus. So too, we're going to see in the Old Testament, in some of these stories that Paul mentions, some shadows, some, some pictures of Jesus. And the things that we're going to be able to see about Jesus here are just extraordinary, uh, what, Paul, what Paul's doing here uh, for us to unpack the Old Testament. Because really, the, the, the big idea of, of this message that, that I really want us to get and to feel the weight of in our hearts is that Jesus is the main character in the Old Testament, Jesus is the main character in the Old Testament. And now, if you, if you know, you know anything at all about your Bibles and kind of Bible stories and Old Testament and New Testament, you might scratch your head at that a little bit because you, you might think, well, I didn't think that Jesus actually showed up until the New Testament. I thought that's like, you know, New Testament starts with like the birth of Jesus and the Old Testament is all the stuff that came before. How can Jesus be the main character of all the stuff that came before? And I think we're going to see what Paul, what Paul shows us here is that Jesus is, in fact, the main character. That in all those stories, what we see is Jesus. And we're going to see, as we look at, to see how Paul handles these stories, we're going to actually see two ways that, to see Jesus in the Old Testament. Two, two ways that we see Jesus uh, before, before we ever get to Christmas, <laughs> before we ever get to Jesus' ministry on earth, before we ever get to the church and, and his death, his resurrection, before any of that, there's two things, to, ways to see Jesus in that Old Testament. And the first is the shadows, is that the Old Testament stories and characters are shadows. In fact, the New Testament, in the New Testament, Paul says this in another letter to the church in, in Colossae. He, he says this, and he was talking about some of these Old Testament things and the, the law and how all that was set up, um, you know, in Moses and things. And, and Paul makes this, this remarkable statement. He says, all of that stuff are shadow, a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, what, what, what Paul is saying there in Colossians is that the whole Old Testament is a shadow cast back through history by Jesus. That Jesus is so central. The, the reality of who he is is so epic in its scope that Jesus arriving in history, breaking in, you know, Christmas, baby Jesus in the manger and everything he came to accomplish is so is such a disruptive event that it casts a shadow all the way back through history. And all those Old Testament stories that you might be familiar with, all the Sunday school stories, when you start to see their contours, and all the contours of those stories are shadows that draw your eyes forward to Jesus. And so now, before we look at how at what Paul how Paul does that in Corinthians, I thought maybe a, a simple example would, would illustrate this, a, a more of a familiar Bible story example. Um, you probably heard of the story of David and Goliath. You know, little, little boy David, chosen as as king, shepherd boy, and the big scary mean giant Goliath, and how David goes up against Goliath and and beats him. Um, famous famous story. 
And it's a true story. That's a, one of the things to get about these shadows in the Old Testament is that these really are true stories. These really did happen. But God in his providence in the shadow cast backwards by Jesus overlaps perfectly with these stories and points our eyes forward. So there really was a David. There really was a Goliath. But what's the point of that story? What's the point of the David and Goliath story? Because you see, what we often do, we, we, often, we do this subconsciously. We often read the Bible and subconsciously put ourselves at the center. That I, I read myself into the Bible stories as, as the main character, at least in the point of the story. And so, you know, so, okay, David trusted God and defeated Goliath. And so I read the story as, oh, so I should trust God to defeat my giants and God will win the victory for me. And I kind of, make the story about, about me and what I should do. And thus the Bible stories become little moral lessons for my life. So, oh, trust God like David did. Now, the thing is that there are moral lessons in, in the Bible stories. You should trust God like David did. But that's not the point of the David and Goliath story. Because I'm not the main character of the Bible. Jesus is. And that story of David and Goliath is Jesus' shadow cast across history and cast across the pages of your Bible. And once you realize that, you'll start to see the contours of that story. Because in that story, you have God's people, the Israelites, and they can't save themselves. They run, and, they, they run and hide every time Goliath shows up. No one can go up against this great enemy of God's people. They're powerless. And so into their place steps God's chosen king. God's chosen king, humble and lowly, and that king defeats their enemy. He wins the victory, and his victory counts for his people. And so that story is the shadow, the contours to draw your eyes forward to see God's true king, the son of David, humble and lowly, stepping into our place to take evil head on and defeat it. And through that cross and that empty tomb, as Jesus arose with freedom in hand, Jesus defeats sin and death, and his victory counts for his people. That, that's the point of the story of David and Goliath. That's, that's what the story is there in the Bible for. And so, so if you want to find yourself in the story, um, you, you're not David beating your giants. In the story, you're, you're the Israelites running scared, powerless to save yourself, and you need God's king to save you. That's the story of David and Goliath. So, so let's now go in the, the next slide here to, to 1 Corinthians 10 to, to see, because Paul, Paul is really in shorthand, is referencing a whole bunch of Old Testament stories here. He's kind of assuming that his, that his readers went to Sunday school and they, they learned all their stories. And he's referencing all these stories of, of the Exodus in, in the Old Testament, the Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, of God's deliverance of his people out of Egypt and then they're wandering 40 years in the wilderness and all the things that happened, happened then. So, so he mentions, you know, all, all these things of the cloud and the sea and, um, you know, the, that's the, the Red Sea. That's the, you know, the pillar of fire, God's presence with them. 
And then he says this. Look at verse 4. He says, referencing back to these, these Israelites, he says, they ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. So here Paul brings up this, this story we're going to look at and says, there's a shadow here. There's a picture here I want you to see. And so what he's referencing there, and he talks about this rock and this, and this water, is two stories uh, from Exodus 16 and Numbers 20. One of the stories is from the, be the beginning of the Israelites' journey in the wilderness, and one is from towards the end. And so, so in Exodus 16... Uh, so here the people had just, you know, just been delivered out of Egypt, you know, all the whole plagues in Egypt and the Red Sea, and now the people are free. And the first thing that they do after being freed from slavery is they turn around and start grumbling. In Exodus 16, there was no water for the people to drink. You know, they're in the Sinai Peninsula, it's a desert, there's no water. And there, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Why would you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us with thirst? And so Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock with your staff, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And so, there, so, so Moses did that and struck the rock with his staff. Water comes out sustains the people in the desert, this, this miraculous provision. Uh, and then later, years later, in, in Numbers 20, they've been, they've been wandering in the wilderness for, for years now, almost the same thing happens again with a, with a couple twists, uh, is that, you know, so basically this time in Numbers, in Numbers 20, um, the people are grumbling again, and so God tells Moses to go and speak to the rock and say, hey, water come out. Uh, but in that story, by the, by the time we get to Numbers 20, it's been years of this, Moses is so frustrated and so angry at the people that instead of doing what God tells him and just saying, hey, rock, water, uh, he takes his stick and starts whacking it again <laughs> like he had done all those years before, but God didn't tell him to do that this time. And, uh, and it's interesting, in, 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 that, in that story, even though that's not what God told him to do, um, and in fact, God is not happy with Moses and says, says to Moses, you did not uphold me as holy. You're not going into the promised land, Moses. And yet water comes out anyway <laughs> and sustains the people anyway. So you have these two stories that, that Paul just makes this passing reference to. And again, in, in Corinthians, his point is to see how people, the people kept turning away from God to idols. And he's like, don't do that. But he just makes this passing reference to these two little stories. So what's the point of those two stories of God providing water out of the rock for his people? Well, so you can go to the, the next slide. So back to Corinthians here. Paul says this extraordinary statement. That this rock, he said, was Christ. And he also said, it says this interesting thing. Maybe we should look at this first. He says, they drank from this spiritual rock that followed them. Which, like, that, that's an interesting phrase, too. Like, so Paul, like, what, 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 what do you mean by that? And so, actually, what Paul is what, what Paul's just referring to there is a tradition at this time in the first century. It's a sort of embellishment on the story. Um, that people like to talk about. Be because this water from the rock story happened both at the beginning and the end of their, the time in the wilderness, 
Um, people like to say, hey, I bet it was the same rock. I bet it was the same rock. And they, I don't know, maybe that rock followed them the whole way. Just I'm trying to picture what that would mean, the little rock with little legs. But it's just, just a little embellishment on the story. And so, you know, whether or not it was actually the same rock in different, in different locations is not really super important. Because, um, you know, we do those kind of embellishments to Bible stories too, right? Like at Christmas, we talk about the three wise men. The Bible doesn't actually say there's three. It just talks about three gifts. But everyone knows what you're talking about when you say the three wise men, and so we say it. And so Paul, so all that Paul's doing here is he's like, hey, remember that rock that followed them? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, I know that story. But whether or not there was this real rock trotting along after them or whether they ended up back in the same place or whatever, what Paul says about this story is important says there was a, a rock following them, a spiritual rock, and that rock was Christ. This story is a shadow. And so just like we did with David and Goliath, trace that shadow back to its source, and the contours of this story become clear too. You have God's grumbling, doubting people, doubting his goodness, doubting his care. And what's God's response? Strike this rock and water flows for them. The rock is beaten and it's life for God's stubborn, sinful people. And now look at the cross where the rock of our salvation is is beaten and pierced. A spear in his side and blood and water flow and by his wounds were healed. The beating that falls on him is life for us. That's the point of that story. And so both in the shadow and God's, in, in God providing water for his people and in the substance, the cross, we see we see God's response to our sin. And what we see is mercy. We see bread and wine. We see body and blood poured out for you. We see forgiveness. We see the water flowing and the blood shed from the Savior's wounds to restore us over and over and over again. And it turns out that there has been a rock following us through all of our grumbling and all of our complaining and all of our doubting. And it's when, just like we celebrated communion a few minutes ago, just it's, it's when we finally own up to that. It's when we finally own up to that guilt is when we find that that rock has been there all along and that he's got new life for us and new mercy for us. And so, you know, to, to see Jesus as the main character of these stories, um, isn't that such better news than to try to put ourselves there? You know, if the story of David and Goliath is all about me pulling myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to believe God enough for a victory, that is out of reach for me most days. 
I'm not the hero who provides. I'm the one who needs rescue. But if that story is about a God who rescues, a king who saves his people, if the water in the rock is not just a little moral lesson about stop complaining, but it's look at the God who provides for me in my unbelief, that's the story I need. That means that I'm the one who in my doubts and my fears, I still receive grace. There's still grace for me in the wilderness, and that's good news. That's good news. So, so, this, so, so this shadows that Paul wants us to see, that he just references so casually, and yet, whoa, this story is grace here. This is just through the whole Old Testament. Every story is his shadow. Every story points forward to this great grace that comes to us in Jesus. And so I, I actually, before we move on and look at the, the second thing that we're going to see about Jesus that Paul wants to show us, I have a little video I want, I want to show you um, that just kind of summarizes this, wraps this all up of, of seeing Jesus in all of these stories. So, so go ahead and be ready to roll that video. Cool.
Yes. <laughs> One main character in this story. Jesus, the center of every story, and every story is his shadow. And if you think that's good, it gets better. Because Paul wants us to see something else too. And if, and if that stirs your soul to see the shadows, wait until you see what I'm, I'm going to call here. Is we see shadows in the Old Testament, and also we see in the Old Testament the sun shining at full strength. Paul keeps going, talks about, you know, talks more about these, these stories. And, and he, says, he says this, references another story from, from Numbers, 20, Numbers 21 and verse 9. He says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. I wonder if you caught that. I wonder if you noticed the theological bomb that Paul just dropped there. Because he, he does this so casually, so subtly, just in sort of making a, a different point, that it's, it's easy to miss this massive truth that Paul just dropped there. Because th this is, that verse 9 is one of the most extraordinary statements about who Jesus is in the entire Bible. The verse 9 is referencing a story in Numbers. Uh, num numbers, uh, numbers 21 says, The people spoke against God. People spoke against God, saying, Why have you brought us up here out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? It really seemed to be a thing for them. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. That's the story Paul's referencing. And in that Old Testament story, the people put God to the test. The same God who brought them up out of Egypt. The God who made heaven and earth. The God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush as Yahweh. The great I am. The self-existent one. The, the ground of all reality. The God, the Lord of heaven and earth. In fact, anytime you're reading in the Old Testament... And, and you see capital L-O-R-D, all capitals. That's actually the Hebrew, the name Yahweh there. This is, this is the, the God who reveals himself as the great I am. And it's Yahweh speaking in Numbers 21. He's the one that the people put to the test. And Paul says, don't put Christ to the test like they did. says, they put Christ to the test. Do, do you see what he's saying? Christ is the one who was speaking in Numbers 21. Jesus is the one that they were grumbling against. Jesus is the one who led them out of Egypt. Jesus is the one who made heaven and earth. Jesus is the one speaking in the burning bush and the pillar of fire. Jesus is Yahweh, the great I am. More than a thousand years before Chris, Jesus was born at Christmas, Jesus was and is the great I am, the self-existent one, the God of heaven and earth. 
whoa. And I know we know that, many of us, most of us here believe that and love that and we worship Jesus, but every once in a while it's good to just see the Bible and let it rest on us. That Jesus was the one there speaking. And you know, this is the consistent testimony of the entire New Testament. It's not like Paul like made a typo here. Uh, the couple more passages, like the book of Jude here on the, the next slide, is even, even more explicit. Jude says this. How, how's this? He says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of Egypt... Jesus was the one saving the people. Jesus is the one working through Moses. Jesus is the one leading the people through the Red Sea. It was Jesus all along. And Jesus himself, lest you think this is just what people say about him, Jesus himself claims this when he's arguing with the Pharisees in John chapter 8. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. Again, it's not just a grammatical error on his part. He's saying, before Abraham was, 2,000 years ago, Pharisees, before, before Abraham was, was ever born, Yahweh, I am. And I am the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. And John says about him, in the beginning was the word that Jesus is, is the word of God, and this word was with God, and this word was God. He was there in the beginning in Genesis 1 and before with God. All things were made through him, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The New Testament, when we finally meet Jesus face to face at Christmas and in his ministry, this is the one who was speaking all along. This is the one that we've seen all along. Jesus with the Father and the Holy Spirit is one God triune from all eternity. He is God and he is God's word. That means he's God's self-revelation. He is God's speaking. And so in the Old Testament, when God speaks, it is Jesus when God reveals himself, like to Moses in the burning bush, it is Jesus, the great I am. And so when we come to the New Testament, as Jesus, the self-existent one, steps into time, when the great I am wraps himself in frail humanity, we see and let the weight of it rest on us again, God on the cross. Not just a man, not just a good teacher, God on the cross. The burning bush bleeds. The great I am gives himself. which, it turns out, is what that story in Numbers 21 is actually all about. 
In that story in Numbers 21 that, that Paul references, we have both Jesus as the son of glory himself shining, speaking in power, and we also have his shadows cast through history. Numbers 21, it's that people spoke against God. Why have you, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to, to die? And the Lord sent fiery serpents, and they bit the people. Many of the people of Israel died. And the Lord said to Moses... Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Which is a weird cure for snake bite. And so Moses makes a bronze serpent and sets it on a pole. And if, any, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. All you had to do of all the different ways God could have cured the snake bite or even just made the snakes go away for Pete's sake. No, he says, look hanging there is your judgment. Look and live. And so in John chapter 3, and if I could have the worship team come forward now, here's what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus, who was there in Numbers in Numbers 21. This is, here's what Jesus says. Again, Jesus, the one who told Moses to go and make that bronze serpent. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must I, the Son of Man, be lifted up, that whoever believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Just as Moses lifted up that serpent and says, look at your judgment and be forgiven, live. So now Jesus, the one who orchestrated it all, the one who spoke in numbers, hangs on the cross. And we can look and see the consequence of my sin, what my sin has cost the God of the universe. And we can look and live. This is who Jesus is. This is his greatness and his glory and his power. The one from all eternity coming to rescue us. And so no matter where you're at this morning, whether you've come in all fired up for Jesus, be like, yes, Oh man, my, my encouragement to you is read the Bible like this, because this, this is how he wrote it, <laughs> to be read like this. Or whether you came in weary and burned out from a week of failure, whether you came in feeling like you're wandering in the wilderness, there is a Savior. And if you came in and you don't know that Savior, you don't know this one who from cover to cover, all about Jesus. Oh, he has proved himself through history and on the cross that he is a savior enough for you. And he is enough. He is the sacrifice. He's the one we look to and live. He is the water flowing from the rock to satisfy us forever. Christ is enough. 
enough for our sin, enough for our struggles, enough for joy in him forever. So let's stand. Let's stand and let's pray and sing. Jesus, we are, we are here this morning to worship you to worship you, the God of the universe, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Spirit, one God, now and forever. You are Lord, and you are God, and you are our Savior. Lord, you have made us, and you have saved us by your blood. Jesus, you are enough for us. Oh, Lord, help us to follow, help us to believe, help us to lean in, to love you, to see you, to look and live. Jesus, in your great and glorious name, we pray. Amen.